But we're in a series about marriage. And this is kind of a little recap where we've been. We started with Adam and Eve. We looked at foundations for marriage and what that looks like. And then we looked at Abraham and Sarah and dealing with disappointment. They had some serious disappointment. And how do we deal with that? And this morning we're going to look at Isaac and Rebecca. And we're going to talk about momentum. You guys know this word momentum? How many think they understand what momentum is? I'm just curious because I was thinking, wow, we have honest good. Uh, okay, takes you well. You think you okay, Matt had to think about it. I want to talk about momentum because I believe momentum matters. And here's where I want to start. I believe it was two, 2019, the 49ers and the, and the uh, Saints were playing an epic game. I mean, I, I can't remember a game like that game. It was, both team ended up with 40-something points. The Niners, I'll just let the cat, if, you, if you're not football fans, the Niners won at the end. But it was a game of shifting momentum. And normally in a football game, I love, I love learning from, from football. I like other sports. We'll talk about this later. But um, football stands out to me. There's so many lessons there, leadership lessons, team lessons, working together lessons. And one of the most predominant ones to me is watching a game and identifying when the momentum has shifted from one team to the other. It becomes very obvious. And this was a game, it was unusual. Usually that might happen once, twice, maybe three times in a normal game. It literally went back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And it was, it was like on the edge of your seat. Who is actually going to come out on top as the clock is winding down? And there can't be another great touchdown. And there is. Oh, and, then it, and it just kept going and going. And it's coming down the stretch. And the 49ers needed someone. They needed something to happen to make sure the momentum was on their side and would push them to a victory. And this is the moment. Watch this. Garoppolo fires and is caught still on his feet as Kittle for the big play and the stiff arm. George Kittle flags by. He's down to the 30. What a run by George Kittle. Yarder on fourth and two thinking face mask here and there it is marcus williams grabbing kittle's mask and he refuses to go down the spy's protecting the football personal foul face mask defense number 43 that 15 yard penalty will be enforced from the end of the run half the distance for the goal correction automatic first down Look at the fight between the two of them. The mask is held the entire way by Marcus Williams. Get a guy down. I'd love to watch the whole game, but we're just we're just gonna get that little part. I have goosebumps. Anybody, gentlemen, come on out. Ah, come on. I I have goosebumps to watch George Kittle fight the way he fought to keep moving forward, so that momentum would return to his team and ultimately they would win the game. What is momentum? Why do we need it? And how do we get it and sustain it? Let me suggest this as a, a definition. Momentum is maintaining, even increasing forward motion against the resistance of those. Did you see the resistance? There were three of them, right, in the other jerseys. Even in the face of resistance by those who are striving to slow or stop our forward progress. Momentum is people moving together towards the finish line. Momentum is discovering life together. 
Momentum matters. It matters in our marriages. It matters in our families. It matters in our community. It matters in this church family. It matters in the body of Christ. Momentum is maintaining even increasing forward motion. That, that implies some things, doesn't it? The very basic thing, and it's helpful that they put jerseys on players, right? Um, it's helpful, it's critical that you remember what team you're on. No? It is. And then being on that team, it's critical that you know what your job is, what your particular role is. George Kittle has a specific role to play. He's known as a blocking tight end, but he also can catch, and he can also run after the catch. It's also important, and it's implied in the moving forward, that we're all going in the same direction. And we're going to talk about that some this morning, because the marriage that we're looking at started really strong, but eventually it was a marriage of people going in different directions. Momentum is maintaining even increasing forward motion against the resistance of those striving to slow or stop our forward progress. The last thing I want to point out from that statement is notice there is opposition to momentum. There's opposition to momentum in your marriage, if you're married. And let's just be real, if you're married, let's own this, that opposition to forward motion and progress in your marriage is often who? Wow, you all pointed at me, thank you. It's, some, it's Becky's fault a little bit sometimes. But you get the point, right? There is opposition to momentum. There is opposition to a team of people, a group of people, saying this is our goal. This is what we want to accomplish. And we're going to put on jerseys so that we all, or we know we're on the same team. We're going to have numbers that, that help us understand what our role is. And we have a coach, and we're going to listen to that coach, hopefully, who's going to guide us, or coaches, guide us in a common purpose, a common goal. I'll say it one more time. Momentum is maintaining even increasing forward motion against the resistance of those striving to slow or stop our forward progress. Momentum is people moving together towards the finish line. Momentum is discovering life together. Now listen to how Jesus says it. Jesus is praying in John chapter 17 to the Father, and there's a little part towards the end where it says this. May they all be one. He's talking to the Father. May they all be one. Who is they? It's us. It's the 49ers, just for the record. Not the Jets, not the, not the Cowboys. Just kidding. Come on, just kidding. Stay with me. It's, uh, it's the church. It's the family of God. It's the disciples of Jesus Christ. Those who put their faith in Jesus as the Savior. May they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be one in us. So may they be unified together, moving all the same direction. And may they also be unified in us. May they all share the same purpose. They understand why we're here, what we're here to do. This is Jesus speaking. And here's the outcome. Here's why this is so important to Jesus and why he is praying to the Father and asking to make, give momentum to his people, to his children, so the world may believe that you sent me. See, momentum matters. The reason momentum matters is because when the people of God have momentum moving in the same direction, unified, moving together, the world gets to see a clear picture of that, of the cross, of the gospel. Do you see how God, and, and, I, and I, we can argue with God, 
because we know ourselves, but do you see how God connects the world that he loves, having a clear picture of the good news, to the people of God moving together in unity? Are you with me? We can flip that, can't we? If the people of God are not moving together, if there's division and brokenness, and let's say it's in the marriage, it's in the family, it's in our small groups, it's in ministries, it's in the body of Christ at Crossroads or the bigger body of Christ, what is the outcome? The world does not see a clear picture of the truth that the Father sent Jesus into this world. I just hover there for a minute because we need to feel the weight of that. I'm convicted. I'm standing before you this morning as as a fellow disciple of Jesus, and I'm feeling the weight, the conviction of the Holy Spirit that says, Kurt, remember, this world getting a clear picture of who I am depends on the people of God moving together in unity. Now, I didn't set this up. God set this up, right? Jesus himself. Now, he says it once, we pay attention. What if he says it twice? I've given them the glory you've given me, May they be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they be made completely one. Unity so that the world may know you sent me. He's not stuttering. Can we get an amen to that? He's intentionally repeating in his prayer. Father, my heart is that the world would have a clear picture of who I am. Me and them and you and me and may they be completely one so that the world would know that you sent me. I'm more than a, than a, a carpenter from Nazareth. Nazareth. I'm more than a good man. In fact, I am the Son of God. I am the Anointed One, the Messiah, that at the perfect time, you sent me, and I came, and I was born of a, of a virgin, a miraculous birth, and I grew up, and I walked this earth, and I taught, and I lived so that the world could see who the Father was. The world, Father, you wanted the world to know who you are, and so you sent me and I've come. And the world's going to miss that if those who've put their faith in Jesus are not moving together as one. You see, momentum really does matter. And in our context of this series, whether we're married or not, divorced, widowed, not yet married, may never get married, I want us to think about momentum in the family of God, uh, the people of God, and how it shows up in the local church, how it shows up in when we get together for prayer in a small group, when the youth gather together, when we gather on Sunday mornings, in our families when we sit down at the dinner table and we live life together at home, in our neighborhoods, and in our marriages. We can't separate that or compartmentalize that. It's the people of God, married, single, lots of kids, no kids, old, young. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't put any stipulation. Jesus just prays that his children, his disciples, would move together as one, just as the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are moving forward in perfect, intimate harmony and unity. Can you agree that that's true? Can you say amen to that? There's no, there's no division. There's no confusion between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Is there? The redemptive plan is clear, and it has never changed. It's never wavered. God's never gotten unpatient. Jesus never gave up. The Holy Spirit never leaves. He goes, I'm out of here. You guys are knuckleheads. I'm done with this mess. There's no wavering in God's unified commitment, his intimate oneness of moving towards what we just proclaimed this morning. We proclaim his death till he comes. You see, momentum really does matter. Jesus prayed that there would be momentum. 
Momentum is moving together as one, no matter what we face, so that the world can see the truth of the good news. Thank you. He said go Jets, but I wasn't going to repeat that. Okay, I'm going to read this again, and, I, and I'm not trying to be funny. I, I'm, I'm just, I want to make sure we're all traveling together, no pun intended. Momentum is moving together as one. We're going in the same direction. We're marching down the field. No matter what we face, no matter how many players are grabbing onto us, even if they cheat, and they grab the face mask, and they pull, and you're like, that's not fair. The enemy's not fair. The opposition's not fair. I give up. Even in the face, no matter what we face, we keep moving forward together as one so that the world can see the truth of the good news. Amen. Thank you. <clears throat> I want us to look at Isaac and Rebecca for a few minutes this morning. We have a microcosm, if you will, of what momentum looks like and when it's there and, and what happens to it. Because I asked, you know, what is momentum? Why does it matter? I hope that we're, we're clear, we get it. But how do we get? How do we maintain it? How do we get momentum, and how do we maintain it, and how do we lose it? Maybe we could ask too, and we're going to see that in the life of uh, Isaac and Rebecca in Genesis 24. And we're not going to cover. So let me just say this: Genesis 24 to 27. Okay, write that down if you want to read through. It's an incredible narrative. It would make a great mini series or podcast or whatever it is that we do these days, a Netflix thing. Um, Genesis 24 to 27. There's a lot more detail there than we're going to touch on this morning, but it's a great story. It's a great display of God's faithfulness and our brokenness. Can we own that? That's often what makes a great story, right? The goodness of God and the brokenness of people and how those two intersect and what the outcome is of God's goodness and our brokenness. So in, in Genesis 24, Abraham, remember him? They got this son Isaac, they had Ishmael, they have Isaac, and Abraham wants his son, doesn't want his son to marry uh, one of the Canaanites. He wants him to marry somebody from their own people. And so he shares this desire he has with his servant, his kind of his manager, his household manager, and in, in chapter 24, verse 42, this manager, um, this servant goes to Abraham's family and he, he kind of sets up this scenario because he's like, okay, I gotta go find a wife for my master's son and you know, maybe this is not Fiddler on the Roof. Maybe he's not, you know, you know. He's not the, did I lose everybody? Okay, not everybody. He's not the matchmaker, right? Okay, he's not, he, I, this, is, this was not in my job description. And so he's, he's, he loves Abraham and he wants to honor that. He's on board with it, but he's just not sure how to do that. And so in chapter 24, verse 42, it says, and he's telling us, he's already done this, he's telling this to um, Rebecca's family, but he said, today when I came to the spring, I prayed. Now that's highlighted in my Bible. It's highlighted in my notes. I hope that you highlight it somehow in your own thinking. He has this task ahead of him. What does he do? He thinks about how, to, how God can do this, and so he goes to God and he prays. And he says, Lord, God of my master Abraham, if only you would make my journey successful. Help me do the task that I'm called to do. Now what he decided in his head, he said, okay, the first virgin, the unmarried woman who comes to, and he's at a well. I should have told you that. He's sitting at a well, and the first woman who's unmarried comes to the well and says, hey, can I give you a drink of water? And by the way, I'll, 
and we're told he has 10 camels. He's traveled a long distance, they're very thirsty. Anybody know about camels? I know very little except that they drink a lot of water. Okay, and they got a big tank, right? They got a big water tank. He's got 10 camels, and he says, the first young lady that comes up who's not married and says, hey, can I get you a drink, and can I water all of your camels? Then God make that the one that I should say, hey, you're, you're it. And so he, he, he prays to God, and in verse 45, before I had finished praying silently, he's sitting there at the well, and he's just talking to God, there comes Rebecca. What an amazing name. There comes Rebecca coming with her jug on her shoulder. And she went down to the spring and she drew water. And so I said to her, please give me a drink. And she says, absolutely. And she gives him a drink and she waters all the camels. Isn't that cool? Come on. Answered prayer, whatever it looks like, is, is amazing. That God responds. And so, he, now this is kind of strange, but he breaks out jewelry, puts jewelry on, puts a ring in her nose. Sorry, ladies, that sounds a little bit, you know, like, but puts a ring in her nose, puts earrings and bracelets and they go back to the house and they have a conversation and her brother says who are you and why are you here and, and he tells the story and he prayed, I prayed and God answered and he says great okay who are we to argue with God yeah you, she can go with you and so the plans are made and, and, they, and then they, all of a sudden an afterthought kind of this is well should we find out if Rebecca wants to go with you <laughs> and be married oh yeah remember yeah and so she comes out and she goes yes and they do and they head back to Abraham he's in a hurry to get back and in end of chapter 24, Isaac is walking out in the field at, in the early evening, and he looks up and he sees a caravan coming, and he makes his way towards it. And Rebecca looks and sees a man walking in the field, and she says, who's that? And the manager says, well, that's my servant's son, Isaac. And she puts her veil on, and they meet. And it says in verse 67 that Isaac brought her into the tent of his mother, Sarah, who had just passed away recently, and he took Rebecca to be his wife. And Isaac loved her, and he was comforted after his mother's death. I thought for sure I'd get at least one, aww. We had, we had the football for the guys. Now, no, uh, no, aww. There's this beautiful love story, and maybe we're stuck on, well, she, you know, it wasn't like our typical courtship and romance and all that. But Isaac loved Rebecca, and they became one, husband and wife, and their journey together Begins And the first thing that we're told as a result of them moving as husband and wife is that Isaac is comforted over the loss of his mother. This is a beautiful scene. Come on. Thank you. Okay. I just, I didn't put these up there, did I? Okay, sorry. Those are the verses we just read. Let me share a couple of thoughts that I want to encourage you to take down either on paper, or on your phone, or even just mentally make a note. How do we get momentum? How do we experience in our life? The first lesson I think for him from here is that momentum is birthed in prayer. Momentum is unlike on the sports field where it's good coaching and talent and training and hard work and all that kind of stuff, which is no guarantee of momentum. You realize that? Even professional football players will see the momentum shift in a game. No guarantee, but what is the what is the, the birthplace of momentum in the lives of God's people? What's the birthplace of momentum in our marriages and in our families and in our parenting and in our community? Would you agree with me that it's in prayer? 
It's in prayer. This task is given to Abraham has this, this heart request that my son marries someone and they, ha- they, they experience marriage and intimacy the way God intended. And so go find this one. And there's everything, there's all kinds of things stacked against this. Wouldn't you agree? And yet, it comes together and I'm suggesting, I think the lesson for us is that the first lesson is that momentum is birthed in prayer. We can't, we can't, make our plans and do what we want, and then, oh, that, by the way, God, will you help bless what I've planned? Anybody do that? No one willing to raise their hand with me and leave me up here all by myself? Thank you, brother. Thank you, sister. Momentum is birthed in prayer. Number two, momentum is dependent upon God's provision. We do our part. We prepare. He loaded the, don- the donkeys. He loaded the camels, sorry. He traveled. He did everything that he needed to do. He put a plan together in his mind, but then he prayed and asked God to do what only God could do. If we leave this morning and we have some picture of momentum and it doesn't include the provision of God, then we've missed the point. If you leave this morning and you say, okay, my marriage is going to be different, or my, family, I'm going to, my parenting is going to be different, my relationships are going to be different, how I serve in this, in this local family is going to be different, I get it, momentum's important. I've got this. No, we don't. We don't have a biblical God perspective view of momentum if we don't acknowledge how dependent we are on God's provision to make it happen. It doesn't excuse us from not doing our part, right? Kittle could have just went, oh, they got me, and gone down. You know, it'll be the next play, not my problem. You know, let's regroup. No, we have a responsibility. But at the end of the day, if we're doing it in our strength or we're doing it because we're the, the, the source of momentum, then we've missed the point. Momentum is dependent upon God's provision. The servant needed God to do what only God could do from working in a lot of different hearts, including her family, her own heart. And I, and I know where some of the, the ladies are kind of stuck, especially if you're young, maybe. It's like, they met, and then they got married that day, and they become husband and wife that day? Uh, no, no one else. Like, wait a minute. I don't know this guy. He doesn't know me. God had to move in that moment, right? Who, who's the source of love that they have for each other? It's God. Thank you. And finally, momentum is measurable when two or more agree to move as one for God. Now, I want us to think just for a second for marriages, because I want us to understand how important marriage is. It just takes two. The Bible says two or three gathered. Remember that? It just takes two people. See, me walking by myself in a direction, and nobody's behind me or with me, I'm just out for a a walk, a stroll, right, exactly, right? I'm just like, hey, look at him, where's he going? It takes, it takes two people to be moving in the same direction for the momentum to begin. And that's true of our marriages. We need to be moving in the same direction. Until a husband and wife are moving in the same direction, there will not be momentum in that, in that, um, that marriage. And if there's not momentum... If Kittle doesn't have forward momentum going and a determination, he's, he's, he's taken down the first moment that he feeds, meets opposition. You tracking with me? The first player that touches him, you're down. The first resistance, the first approach of the enemy, boom, he's done. And that'll happen in our marriage. You, you know that. It happens in our marriages. 
the first resistance, the first opposition, the first challenge, the first problem, and we're not going together, we're not one, there's not one that's moving in the same direction, we stop. We're stopped in our tracks. It takes two. Momentum is measurable. We begin to see it. We begin to understand it and experience its benefits when two or more agree to move as one for God, and that is true in marriage. It's also true in parenting. It's also true in a family. And it's also true in a local church or a ministry. You with me? You say, well, we got to get everybody going. No, we don't. We just need two and then three. And then we just need, we need two to come together and say, here's where we're going. Do you realize that's pro- the main, that's the primary reason having healthy, godly, humble elders is critical to the health of a church? Because that's where the momentum starts. You got five, six, seven men that are not going in the same direction, you will never have momentum in that local body until those two, three, four, five, six begin to say, you know what? Here's why we're here. Here's what God's planted. This is why Crossroads still exists in 2023, since 1930 in some form. And we're still here. God has a purpose for us. Let's move. It's hard, there's opposition. Not everybody's going to agree. There's going to be face mask penalties. There will be. Someone will grab and yank your head around. You won't see it coming, leaders, everybody. Until you get people moving in the same direction, you can't measure the momentum. It's true of a local church. In chapter 25, we're just kind of surveying through this couple's life. Isaac is 40 years old when he took Rebecca to be his wife. Does that give hope to anybody? Okay, good. Right? Did Maluli say yeah? Brother, you're already married. Okay, well then there's, she's sitting right there. (laughs) Put your arm around her real quick, real quick. There you go, all right, good. You've you've taken the title from Ron. No more gambler. Isaac, if you wanna know what that's about, come see me afterwards. Isaac was 40 years old when he took his wife, Rebecca, daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean from Padan Aram, and the sister of Laban, the Aramean. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. So they come together, he's comforted, they love each other, they begin their life together, and it becomes soon apparent that she can't have children. Does that feel like opposition? Does that feel, it does, doesn't it? And so he prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. And the Lord heard his prayer. Can we get an amen to that? Woo-hoo. Okay, hold on, hold on. And his wife, Rebecca, conceived. Can I get an amen to that? Woo-hoo. Yeah, okay, great. But the children inside of her struggled with each other. And she said, why is this happening to me? Moms, any moms say that during pregnancy? Why is this happening to me? Why do I have to go to the bathroom every five minutes? What is wrong? What is happening to me? She's got twins, right? Why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. Two people will come from you and be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the other will serve the younger. And they're already fighting in her womb. When her time came to give birth, there was indeed twins in her womb. Can I get an amen to that? Woohoo! Right? And the first one came out red-looking, covered with hair like a fur coat. I love that. And they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out grasping Esau's heel with his hand. So he was named Jacob. You ready for this? Isaac was 
60 years old when they were born. Hold on a second. When did he get married? He was 40. And God heard his prayer and he answered his prayer and gave him kids. When were they born? 20 years. We got excited about he answered prayer and he, and he heard and he answered prayer. But do you notice the prayer, their experience of the benefit of the prayer, the answer of prayer was 20 years later. Yeah. I just want this to be real for us because can we connect to this? When we pray and ask God to do things and he says when, and we go yesterday, and he goes, yeah, no, I'll do it at the perfect time. I'll give you just what you need at the perfect time. Momentum requires an unwavering commitment to complete dependence upon God. 20 years, this couple prayed. She went and inquired of God once she got pregnant. There's a prayer life. Do you see this? There's a pattern of Isaac and Rebekah. And they maybe learned it from Abraham and that servant that had prayed. There was a, it was a culture of praying and coming to God. And so that's what they did. They came to God and they prayed. He prayed on her behalf. She asked God what was happening. For 20 years they prayed before the pregnancy. You want experience momentum in your marriage? It's going to require an unwavering commitment to complete dependence upon God. It's going to require you trust him with his timing. That we trust him with the circumstances and how he answers the prayer. We didn't pray for two. I'm not sure I can handle two. Well, that's what I'm going to provide and here's what I'm going to do. Secondly, momentum grows when we put the needs of others before our own. I love this expression of Isaac's love for Rebecca. He goes to God on her behalf. I love that phrase. I, now, I'm gonna, I read into it. I read into it that living with um, a wife who can't have kids and probably everybody around her, people are having kids and getting pregnant and the circumstances of other people's lives around them are constant reminders. You with me on that? You know, when we go, through, we go through loss and grief, and one of the hardest things we experience is when good things are happening to the people around us. And life is just moving forward. And you're, wait a minute, wait a minute, I'm still praying for a baby. And they want me to come to that birthday party? Ugh. And I, I, I hear this man, I see this man who loves his wife, and he's just bringing her on her behalf. He's saying, God, please, help. Did he pray for a baby? Absolutely. But do you think he prayed for more than that? I do. Comfort my wife. Give her peace. Show me how to be a, a godly husband that would comfort her and love her and walk with her through this. Momentum grows when we put the needs of others before our own. When you put your own benefit on the line, when you're willing to take that hit or bear that penalty, and get back in the huddle and do it again, and you're hurting, and you're bleeding. You ever seen football players bleed in the huddle? Sometimes they're bleeding, right, and they're hurt. Sometimes they play hurt. Sometimes they're just dumb because they're guys. But other times it's because it's like, you know, this is what I do. My team is more important. And yes, I'm hurting. Yes, I'm struggling. But I'm going to keep fighting. I'm going to keep, because momentum requires that I put the needs of you before the needs of me. And can I get an amen to that? When it comes to marriage, oh, not so many amens. <laughs> Sorry, I tricked you there. I can't think of a more important place than in this building block of, of, of community that God's designed called marriage. You put the needs of the other person before your own. I have a new mantra in my marriage life. It took me about 30 years. I think Becky can maybe correct that. I don't remember when I first started saying it. I don't always have to have an opinion. 
the truth is I do always have an opinion. In fact, I probably have several. And no matter what we're facing or what she says or what she tells me about, I, within, within seconds I have several opinions. The color, the shape, the size, the timing, the, the, you, I'll list it out for you. I don't always have to have an opinion. And that's my struggle to be consistent in putting her needs before my own. There's times when I should have an opinion and I should share that. But there's many more times where her needs are more important than my opinion or what I think needs to happen because of this bigger picture of momentum. I want my marriage to have momentum for the glory of God. I want, my, I want to look like George Kittle when it comes to fighting for my marriage. And there's three or four things climbing on me, yanking at me, doing whatever, and I'm just going to keep moving. In the, I pray that I will keep moving in that direction because momentum is critical in marriage. But now let's step outside of marriage. It's critical in all relationships, including the church, this family of God, that we are putting the needs of others before our own. It's hard to say amen to that. I, I, I agree. But that, that is what momentum is created from. When more and more people are moving in the same direction and they're saying, your needs are more important than mine. Your needs are more important than mine. Your needs are more, and that person is pointing me and saying, your needs are more important than mine. Do you see it? There's a team. I wore this jersey because I wanted to see if I could get away with it. No, I'm kidding. Because the name on the front is important, right? The church of God, the family of God. It is important. In fact, it is more important than the name on the back. Now that's my grandson. Yeah, Harrison. It's also a Giants pitcher, Kyle Harrison. But I got this because I can put my grandson's name on the back of my jersey and people go, oh, you're talking, no, I'm talking about my grandson. Yeah. And that's important to me. But this name is more important than the name on the back. And until we live that way as followers of Jesus, until the church, the, the, the mission of God, and being a part of his family, and, and the needs of others, until they become more important than, than me and what I want, we, we are hindering momentum. We're getting in the way of momentum. It grows when we put the needs of others before our own. Genesis 25. You ready to keep moving? The boys grow up. Esau becomes an expert hunter, an outdoorsman. Jacob was a quiet man who stayed at home. Isaac loved Esau because he loved the food, the game, the wild game that Esau cooked. And Rebekah loved Jacob. We're not explicitly told, but we're told that Jacob or Esau liked to be outside. He smelled. He smelled like the, the, the field and animals, and he was a good hunter, and he, could, he did awesome barbecue, and Isaac loved that. And Jacob was a quiet soul. He was a reader, you know, and he, and he was contemplative and thoughtful, and he stayed home and did things around the house, and Rebecca liked that. Momentum is weakened when preferences come before purpose. Our time is about up, so I'm going to move quickly, but I want to encourage you to think about that. Momentum in a marriage, in a church, in a youth group, welcome, in, a, in any kind of setting of a group of people trying to go the same direction for God, momentum is weakened when preferences become more important than our purpose. Do you get that? 
The name on the back of the jersey, when the name on the back of the jersey becomes more important than the name on the front. Genesis 26, there's another famine in the land. Oh, Matt, I had deja vu, or Matt's going to have deja vu as we walk through this part, because we saw this with Abraham and, and Sarah. There's another famine in the land in addition to the one that occurred in Abraham's time. And Isaac, Abraham's son, he learned from dad, right? He went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines at Gerar, and he stayed there. There must have been food there. He's trying to figure out what to do. And the Lord appeared to him and said, do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land that I tell you about, this land. Stay in this land as a foreigner, and I will be with you, and I will bless you. So he stayed. He settles in Gerar. And when the men of the place asked about his wife, he said, she's my sister. That sound like deja vu? Where'd he learn that from? Dads, are you paying attention? She's my sister because he was afraid to save my wife, thinking the men of this place will kill me on account of Rebecca, for she is, oh yes, a beautiful woman. I've never told anybody that Becky's my sister, just for the record, in spite of the fact that she is a beautiful woman. Momentum is destroyed when self replaces sacrifice. Momentum is destroyed when self, self-preservation, what's good for me, replaces the sacrifice that is necessary for me to serve and protect someone else. Are you not as grateful as I am that what we read this morning earlier, when Jesus is in that dark place, that chaotic place, he's at that last meal, and instead of thinking of himself, he's thinking of us. He's about to go to the cross. He's about to be crucified. And he's thinking about others. He's thinking about us. For the joy that was set before him. Isaac's in a tough situation, and he looks over at his wife and says, man, she is such a knockout. Oh, my goodness, I remember dad... (laughs) I think what's going to happen is they're going to they're going to kill me and take her because she's so beautiful. So I'll say she's not my wife. Think about this, gentlemen. He denies that he's married to her to protect himself. Whatever's going to happen to her is going to happen to her, but at least I won't be killed so they can take her someone else. You think this is a momentum killer in that marriage? Come on now. God's provided kids, answered prayer after 20 years, and they're moving the same direction. A famine, another more resistance. A famine happens. Okay, Isaac, what are we going to do? Well, let's go over here and see if there's food. And, and God, God speaks to me. God spoke to me. He said, don't go down to Egypt. Just stay here. So we're going to stay here. Okay, great. How's God going to provide? Uh, you know what? I'm just reminded of how beautiful you are, and I think people are going to try to kill me so they can have you. So we're going to tell people you're my sister. If there's any momentum, and there was in that marriage, it just came to a screeching halt. It's destroyed when self replaces sacrifice. Secondly, momentum is replaced with division and chaos. Division and chaos. Genesis 27. The whole chapter. This is the scene where Isaac is going to bless Esau and Rebecca hears and so she begins to manipulate and and make a plan and Jacob joins her and they do a crazy thing putting fur on it remember Esau was born and it was like he was a a fur coat so Jacob puts a fur coat on his arms he puts the skin of goats and he goes through this whole thing and it's lying and deception and manipulation and it gets Jacob gets what he what Rebecca wants because remember Isaac loved Esau Rebecca loved Jacob and he gets the blessing from the father, but then he has to run because Esau's brother is going to kill him. And the family, the marriage, everything is a mess. Momentum becomes replaced with division and chaos. 
So I guess in, in, a, in a very real sense, I found myself asking this, and I, I'll throw it out for us. In a very real sense, we need to ask, what, how do we want life in our marriage? How do we want life in our families? How do we want life in this local church to be? Do we want it to be characterized moment, by momentum, that we're moving in the same direction and more and more people are joining, and we're moving towards the goal, we're accomplishing what God wanted us to accomplish, wants us to accomplish? Or am I okay with a marriage, with a family, with, a, with relationships and with a church that is characterized by deception and manipulation and chaos? And, and nobody wants to say anything out loud because right, the obvious answer is the first, not the second. And yet, choice by choice by choice, we move in one of these two directions. And every one of us here this morning, including me, all of us are moving in one direction or another. Right now, this week, today, you and I make decisions that we're moving in the direction of momentum and, and what it accomplishes or we're moving in the direction of self-preservation, watching out for me, getting what I want, manipulating, deceiving. I'm moving towards chaos. Do we believe that? I do. I believe it's laid out here for us in the life of these people, which this is where it brings me back to, and this is where we will close this morning, is this idea of Jesus praying that we would be one so that the world would believe that the Father sent him. Many of us came up to these tables, and we ate and we drank, and we proclaimed his death till he comes, which is a beautiful thing. That's an obedience to Jesus. But equally important is when we leave this place and we go out and we live in our families, our marriages, our schools, our neighborhoods, our workplaces, and interact with each other in the eyes of this community is that we proclaim his death till he comes by being one and moving together in the same direction. Momentum is moving together. This is where we started. Momentum is moving together as one no matter what we face so that the world can see the truth of the good news. Amen. And it matters. It matters in our marriages. It matters in our families. It matters if you're single. You say, well, I'm single, I'm not married. It, it matters in all of our relationships. And it matters in his church. It matters in the body of Christ. Momentum matters. But we can't do it in our own strength, right? So we're going we're gonna to pause and Jan is going to come out, and she's going to lead us in a time of prayer. And folk, whatever God's spoken to you about, whatever he's given you this morning, whatever part you have in this, in your marriage, in your family, in this church, I know God speaks. In spite of me, he speaks through the truth of his word, and you've heard God this morning. And as he has spoken to you, we're going to have a time of prayer. And you and I need to deal with God individually so that we can deal with God and move forward together. Can I get an amen to that? So Jan, lead us, please, in a time of bringing our hearts before the throne.